Our text this morning is Psalm 128. The topic, the psalmist encourages everyone, starting with men, to fear the Lord and to walk in his ways. The title of our message, I'm a man, yes I am, and I can't help but fear you so. Any Chicago fans? Rock and roll, Chicago? Yeah, okay, well, Gene told me that would flop, but anyway. It's one of Chicago's greatest hits. Scratch that. Let's pray. Father, thanks so much for our morning thus far. We're excited to have your word open before us. Triply excited, Lord, because you said you'd be here walking in our midst and that the Holy Spirit is our teacher. So as I make comments, Lord, I pray that they would just spark thoughts uh, that you would put in each of our hearts, that you would, as we like to say, speak to us through your word. We'll know you have, Lord, if what is said is gracious and merciful and filled with love, because these are the things that you embody. Those that are hurting here this morning, Lord, I pray that no greater burden would be laid upon them, but instead a release of their burdens as they cast their cares upon you. If there's anyone here who's not a believer in Jesus Christ, they're not saved, they've never been born again. May your spirit, by your grace, open their hearts, free their will to receive Jesus Christ as their Savior and to be transformed, as this young lady in the video mentioned. There are plenty of programs that can reform, but only the gospel transforms from darkness to light, from death to life. So do that work, Lord, we pray. We pray it in Jesus' name, and those who agreed said, Amen. Here you are in church when you could be LARPing. Any LARPers here or anybody willing to admit it? LARPing is live action role play. Mark your calendars and get your costumes. The next renaissance of King's Fair is coming October 2nd and 3rd in 2021. I guess they had to cancel this year. I think they should have had it and acted like it was the plague. Uh, but. <laughs> All right, I'm here all week. But anyway, I, <laughs> what an imbecile. I haven't been to Hanford's annual Christmas parade for some time. Does the Star Trek group, the cosplay group, still have their shuttlecraft in the parade? Do you remember seeing it? It's a really nice shuttlecraft. I think it works. I found an archived Hanford Sentinel article from February 2019 about Comic-Con cosplayers gathering at the King's Fairgrounds. They pictured a pretty convincing Boba Fett. Comic-Con International San Diego annually draws over 100,000 fans. I think it was 2015 they set a Guinness's record for a Comic-Con with 167,000 fans, not counting exhibitors or staff. They too were forced to COVID cancel this year. We're going to talk a little about roles today, our roles in the household of God and in our own houses. Psalm 128 celebrates the biblical family, man, woman, children. It wasn't written to correct any failing on Israel's part. It's not a marriage study per se. It's to celebrate family as an earthly blessing from the Lord. As these pilgrims arrived singing these songs, God wanted them to see how he had blessed them and 
one of the key blessings in their life was to have family and to prosper in that area. And so I'll organize my comments around two points. Number one, you want to lead as a fearful father. And number two, you want to follow as a fearful family. Let's take a look at fathers in verses one and two, because as you read this, you'll see that this psalm is addressed to men. Sure, it opens saying, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. But it goes on to address men about your wife and about your children. The psalmist doesn't address women and children directly. Not to denigrate them or to say anything weird about them. It's just establishing that there is different roles to fulfill both in the household of God and in their own houses. Psalm 128 celebrates God's design for the family. To the extent that it does, we can apply it to ourselves. It wasn't written to us. It wasn't written about us. But since it assumes a larger context of the biblical family, we can learn from it because we still believe in that concept, in that teaching from the book of Genesis. And so here it goes, a song of ascents. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. This is the ninth of the 15 Songs of Ascent, sung by pilgrims on their trips to the annual feasts in Jerusalem. Men of a certain age were required to attend. From the information given to us, it would seem that whole families traveled together whenever they could. The notable episode where 12-year-old Jesus got left behind in Jerusalem describes his family pilgrimaging back and forth with other families. And so they made a, a, a great time of it both ways. Though required in God's law, these annual pilgrimages were not intended to be a burden. No one looked at the calendar and said, ah, Passover's coming, I can't stand it. They wanted to get there and, and see people they hadn't seen, try other tribes and, and other friendships, and be in the presence of the Lord and the temple and all of this. It was a joy. It was to be a blessing to gather together. God wanted to draw his people together to bless them. Our gathering together ought always to be a blessing to you, not a place to heap burdens upon you. Too often in church services, uh, the church you know, is presenting its needs, and you're the uh, only one that can solve those needs, and what are you doing about it, and we don't have enough this or enough money. It's, it always comes down to money, and, and uh, you, know, you, don't, you don't need more of a burden. You come in with burdens, and, and then we, you know, a church tells you, well, we have... Our burdens are better. We have better burdens. We're the better burden church, you know. Uh, don't, no, we're here to relieve burdens. Uh, and we do that by pointing people to Jesus who said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The apostle Peter said, cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. He certainly doesn't want to cast cares upon you. The fear of the Lord can be described in many different ways. One way, the way I'm going to emphasize it is this. You believe God always has simultaneously in his mind your good and his glory. Whatever's going on in your life, whatever situation you find yourself in, God has in his mind your good and his glory. You thus fear the Lord by willingly obeying him. No matter your will, you prefer and choose God's will. You implicitly trust God's will over your own. You submit your ways to his way even when it requires sacrifice. It's the only way to ensure your good and his glory. Now, before we go on with an example, let me say this. 
we're going to reference marriage and family today. I want you to think about where you are now, not everything that has happened in your past. For example, if you've been divorced, but you're now remarried, we're talking about your current marriage, where you are now. We're not looking back. If you're not married, we're talking about what is going on in your life today. We're not looking back. That's to keep uh, from heaping burdens upon you. Because you, you, some of you are going to go back and say, what a horrible, total failure I was. And, and you're going to feel like you're being condemned, but there is no condemnation as Jesus. So where are you right now? That's what we're talking about. If you insist on looking back, look back to the cross where your sins are forgiven. And if you want to hear from the Lord this morning about your past, the Lord says this, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. That's from the woman caught in adultery. You remember that? Caught in the very act of adultery, thrown at Jesus' feet, condemned by all the religious leaders. And after Jesus dealt with them, he looked at her and he said, where are your accusers? And she says, no man accuses me. And he says, neither do I. Go and just don't sin anymore. In other words, walk with me, trust in me, those kinds of things. And so I want you to hear that. And now back to our text. Maybe right now you are contemplating divorce. Do you at least have any biblical grounds? Have you been abandoned by your spouse? Has your spouse committed adultery? I've also learned over the years to add this important footnote. Physical abuse is sin, and you don't ever submit to it. Tell someone, call the police. I don't want any woman, especially, to go out of here this morning thinking, well, I've got to submit to my husband while he's punching me in the face. Not true. I won't ever say that. Without biblical grounds for divorce, and sometimes even with it, God says you are to stay married. He would only say that if it were for your good and for his glory. Blessed is the man or woman who fears the Lord and does what he says. So here's the typical situation today. Married couple comes in. We're not getting along. We're going to get a divorce. Do you have biblical grounds? No. What's the problem? Well, the real problem, Gene, is that this, you know, he or she fell in love with somebody else. What a buffoon. What, what do you mean you fell in love with somebody else? And then they act like it was like love at first sight, like a meteor hit them in the head or something. When in reality, what happened is they gave in to their flesh and they started a relationship with this person and it got deeper and deeper and deeper, more and more intimate. Finally hit the internet where, you know, you're up late at night. No, I'm nothing. I'm just on Amazon. And then finally you're in love. And you, and you know what people think? Now, you, you could disagree with me, but I'm on God's side. Uh, people think if they're in love, what, what do you want me to do? I don't love my wife. I don't love my husband. I love this other person. That must be right. How can that be wrong? It is. That's how it can be because you're an idiot. And God says to you, stay married. What? What? And then most people, sadly, get divorced anyway. And then they bounce around for a while to different churches. And then they come back to the Lord. And you know what? I hesitate to say this because it's going to sound weird, but God forgives them. God forgives them. But should we sin that grace might abound? God forbid. What does that say about our love for God? You are to walk in his ways, and you discover his ways, like grounds for divorce, by reading your Bible. 
Everything you need to live a godly life is covered somewhere in the Bible. Add to that, and this is an important addition, you are given the, uh, God the Holy Spirit to indwell you, making it more than possible for you to walk in his ways. And so God says, here are my ways. And here is the power to walk in them. Do it. When you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy, and it shall be well with you. Israel was an agricultural nation. It was the land flowing with milk and honey. Other occupations depended upon ag. They quite literally ate the labor of their hands. The phrase speaks to providing for one's family. Now, we are light years away from saying that this means a man provides and a woman can't ever work outside the home. I don't want you to draw any conclusions about the things I'm saying. In fact, I'm not going to suggest any particulars of your home life. We're painting a picturesque biblical home in broad strokes. We're going to be talking about your role, not the rules. A lot of people think, well, husbands lead, women submit, children, all this. What are the rules? Who writes the checks? Who deals with the money? Who does the discipline? Who does this? That's between you and the Lord and you and your spouse and you and your children. There's no one right way. There, there, it's not a mechanical thing. It has to do with the heart. And so think role, not rules. The psalmist was putting a joyous responsibility upon the man to see to it that his family prospers. Speaks to hard, honest labor, to a diligent work ethic. Holy gee willikers. I see a lot of young people today who have no work ethic at all. Why are you late to work again? My alarm didn't go off. And that means what? And they think that that's a valid reason. My alarm doesn't go off on time, and so, you know, what am I supposed to do? People are rude who wait on you. They're not helpful. They're in your way. Have you noticed at the grocery store, everybody's in your way? Everybody who works there? Well, then go to Walmart. These people that are, and this is a personal peeve with me, so just bear with me. These people that are shopping for you, they ask me to get out of the way so that they can shop for you. They're the employee. I'm a consumer in their store. Excuse me, could you move? I have to get some stuff. No. I don't know. Happiness and contentment are byproducts of assuming your role. Ultimately, walk in God's ways, walking in God's ways results in a peaceful existence that is to be envied. More than ever, people are walking in their own ways when it comes to marriage and family. In June 2015, the Supreme Court ruled in the landmark civil rights case of Obergefell versus Hodges that the fundamental right of same-sex couples to marry on the same terms and conditions as opposite-sex couples with all the accompanying rights and responsibilities is guaranteed by both the Due Process Clause and the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment to the United States Constitution. Our reaction, first and foremost, ought to be this. Judgment must begin at the house of God. How are we doing at walking in God's ways with regard to marriage? I, I know how the world is doing. But how are we doing since it's so important? Biblical marriage is one biological male one biological female in a monogamous heterosexual union 
that is to last as long as they live. At the same time, we rightfully decry same-sex marriage. Divorce is way too prevalent among Christians. At the same time, we rightfully decry homosexuality. Fornication and adultery are too prevalent among believers. Are any of those sins really less sinful? You can't fear God and pursue biblical, excuse me, an unbiblical divorce. You can't fear God and commit sexual sin. They're mutually exclusive. Psalm 128 mentions guys first, and it's written to them. That means you are to lead. Get into God's word, understand his ways. Know that you are empowered by the Holy Spirit to walk in his ways, and then fear him by following him. Now let's look at the family in verses 3 through 6. I'm going to start in an odd place talking about the Trinity. The Father is God. Jesus is God. The Holy Spirit is God. There is only one God. Three coexistent, co-eternal, co-equal persons who are one God. With regard to the plan to redeem sinful men, there is a division of roles within the Trinity. God the Father is said to have sent Jesus. Jesus willingly submitted himself to God the Father in his role as Savior of the world. Jesus is said to be the giver of God the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit subordinates himself to Jesus, pointing men to him for salvation. It should come as no shock, therefore, that there would be a division of roles in God's household and in your house. In fact, as we each fulfill our roles, it reveals the sweet and precious cooperation of the Trinity in salvation. It mirrors the nature of God, as it were. And so verse 3, your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house. Your children like olive trees planted all around your table. There's an obvious hierarchy in this Old Testament home. Everyone in the blessed family has their God-assigned role to play. Roles, and especially the roles of women, super controversial. I don't need to tell you that. There's a lot of disagreement among Christians. Theologians have come up with big words to describe at least two of the differing positions on the biblical roles of men and women in the church. Those words are complementarian and egalitarian. Complementarianism is the viewpoint that God restricts women from serving in church leadership roles and instead calls women to serve in equally important but complementary roles. Egalitarianism is the viewpoint that there are no biblical gender-based restrictions on ministry in the church. The team over at gotquestions.org summarize it saying, on the one side are the egalitarians who believe there are no gender distinctions and that since we are all one in Christ, women and men are interchangeable when it comes to functional roles in leadership and in the household. The complementarian view believes in the essential equality of men and women as persons, as human beings created in God's image, but complementarians hold to gender distinctions when it comes to functional roles in society, in the church, and in the home. We are complementarians. It seems straightforward. The original married couple was complementarian. Adam was created first. Eve was tasked with the role of help meet for Adam. After our first parents sinned, the Lord was clear that Eve was to be subordinate and subordinate her desire to rule and instead assume a more submissive role. The Apostle Paul applied the hierarchy of the first family to the church, to the household of God, when he said to Pastor Timothy, I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. So, in, you know, a lot of people say, well, all of this is cultural. 
that, you know, God was talking about Adam and Eve and then the patriarchs and all that. It has nothing to do with our culture. Well, in the first century, Paul still was looking back to Genesis and saying, what God established in Genesis still goes today. And, and I don't see anything past the first century in the scriptures that says, yeah, we can abandon God's biblical family. A division in roles does not equate to a difference in quality or importance or value. Men and women are equally valued in God's sight and plan. Women are not inferior to men. Rather, God assigns different roles to men and women in the church and in the home because that's how he designed houses and his household on earth to function. Egalitarians have their arguments, sure. We find them unbiblical or less biblical. And worse, sometimes they're just dictated by cultural pressure to conform or to seem progressive. I mean, well, that's, that's enough. I can only get in trouble. Israel was certainly complementarian. Psalm 128 assumes there are genders and gender roles in the biblical home. The change from an ag culture to our modern society doesn't overrule God's original design for marriage and the family. And when you talk about marriage, let's talk about biblical marriage, not just traditional marriage. Traditional marriage can have a lot of different implications. Biblical marriage. One man, one woman, both biologically identified, monogamous, heterosexual, for life. That's a biblical marriage. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house, your children like olive plants around your table. Don't read this as barefoot and pregnant. To an Old Testament wife, these were tremendously impressive words. And it goes on to say that the wife is the very heart of your house. Analogies are hard to come up with. Let me try one that's a little bit lame, but I think you'll get the idea. If you are smart, you are heart healthy in your diet and exercise. You take good care of your heart for a long life. You need to apply that kind of smart to taking care of your wife. She is the heart of your home and needs to be cared for carefully. I want to again emphasize that I am not going to tell you how to do that. It isn't in the mechanics, it's in cooperation with Jesus. If there's a key to success, it's simply to be like Jesus was in his incarnation. Though he was Lord of all, he became the servant of all. Everything you need in order to fulfill your role as a man or a woman or a child is illustrated by Jesus washing his disciples' feet the Passover prior to his willing death on the cross. We don't practice foot washing as an ordinance, but we should practice spiritual foot washing all the time in our lives. It should be our individual practice to be the lowest servant of all. Is the man the leader? Yeah, but that needs to be qualified because the greatest of all is what? The servant of all. Our lead servant, Jesus, didn't come to be served, but to serve. The man of the house is more a discipler than a delegator. And so this idea of leadership isn't telling people what to do. It's being a servant. And this idea of submission isn't an idea of being taken advantage of. It's being a servant. And so on down the line. Wives and kids, the Bible verses and passages that speak about your roles, they're not hard to find. Neither are they hard to understand, especially if you come to them fearing the Lord in the way we are describing today. Mark Twain is credited with saying, it ain't the parts of the Bible that I can't understand that bother me, it's the parts that I do understand. You can walk in his ways by yielding yourself to the Holy Spirit, 
The Holy Spirit subordinated himself to Jesus, and you should subordinate yourself to him. He empowers you. He enables you. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. Fear the Lord. Believe because it's true that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are the called according to his purpose. Submit to God's will, believing he is working. Verse 5, the Lord bless you out of Zion, and may you see the good of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Their blessings came out of Zion in the sense that they were the result of God's presence in the temple. For a long time, it was his dwelling place. It was his house, as it were, upon the earth. It was therefore important that Jerusalem know peace and prosperity. All the Jews had to do was love God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. And that's not a burden. It's not hard to love God. It's not hard to love Jesus Christ when you rehearse all that they've done for you, all that Jesus is to you, how he saved you and and given you his spirit and his grace is available to you and all of the different blessings that you have. It only makes sense to love him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. But sadly, Israel often committed spiritual adultery by worshiping the gods of the pagans around them. They looked at the Canaanite societies and said, man, I wish we could have perverted sex like that. That'd be great. I wish we could sacrifice our children to Molech. Wouldn't that be a hoot? How about all these other practices? Let's get drunk and debauched and get naked and have orgies. And they went after that in their lust. And so God would discipline them for their own good and for his glory. He'd allowed Jerusalem to be defeated and overrun. And then he would restore them when they repented. Yes, may your children's children, may you see your children's children, peace be upon Israel. Grandkids, really cool, right? They're the coolest things in sliced bread. It's all chocolate and silly string fights. Discipline? Not on my watch. I am done with discipline. I'm not going to discipline your kids or my grandkids. I don't care what they're, I guess if they start to burn down the house, hey, come and get them. I don't think we gave them any sugar, but you never know. (laughs) This ending, however, probably looks far, uh, way farther forward than grandkids or great, 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 great grandkids. God promised his people an earthly kingdom ruled over by the son of David. We call it the millennium because it's described that way in the 20th chapter of Revelation, it's described as lasting a thousand years. There are descriptions of it throughout the Old Testament, and it's coming. God has promised it. It's great that historic peace treaties are being signed in the Middle East. Peace is a good thing. But we also know that modern Israel's peace will not last. At some point, a treaty will be broken, and the Jews in Jerusalem will be forced to flee for their very survival. Uh, That's a major topic in the book of the Revelation. You can read about it in Matthew 24 and 25. When LARPing or cosplaying, you wear costumes. So do you as a believer in Jesus Christ. When by his prevenient grace, God frees your will to receive Jesus as your Savior, he takes off filthy garments and he dresses you in a robe of righteousness. And then you're described as wearing the whole armor of God in your spiritual battles. The outfit I want to highlight today, and we'll end on this, is the one the Apostle Paul described to the Ephesians. He says, put on, and it means put on like clothing or like a garment. Put on clothing, the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. 
Put away lying. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. These are things you and I can do. We can put on this garment because Jesus gave us the robe of righteousness and he gave us his spirit. And so when he says, put these things on, it's telling us that this is how I enable you. If you will yield and go my way and not your way, because my way is always for your good and for his glory. Amen. Amen.